Good morning, church. <laughs> For those of you who are guests, they are clapping not because they like me so much, although that's not a bad idea. I'm, but I've been gone for a month. Um, I take some time off in February because as chaplain of the Skins and as pastor of this church, it requires double duty, lots of work, and so I try to refresh during the month of February with some rest and some reading. So I did a lot of studying on things that I normally cannot do because I'm preparing to equip you. It was a good month, but I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back. Um, We're going to continue our series on our values, five values that we hold dear in this church. One, lordship. We spoke about that the last time I preached. Two, today is going to be discipleship. Three, evangelism. Four, leadership development. And five, family. Turn with me over to the book of Luke, and we're going to look at discipleship within the context of prayer. Now, as I begin this message, I want to highlight the fact that we are concentrating on prayer in our church quite a bit. So on Wednesday night, Pastor Jim Critcher will be teaching on prayer, which is going to be an extra shot in the arm for us as a people. And I would really encourage you to make it out on Wednesday night. When we concentrate on an emphasis for a period of time, it's because we believe it is absolutely necessary, whatever that emphasis is, absolutely necessary to our progress to get to the next level. And I want to emphasize that when we say next level, we're not using it in the same context as corporate America would. The next level for us is down, not up. That we're doing all we possibly can to humble ourselves before God. We are enjoying basement living. That God wants a people that know who they are, but only in the context of who he is. And he is great, we are not. He is amazing, we are less than. And if we can keep that relationship and the the clarity between the two, then we will never rise in pride thinking more of of ourselves than we really should, having an elevated view of our own humanity. So the next level for us is always down. Now the beauty is this, that when, when we go down intentionally, it says God begins to exalt those who humble themselves. So the way up is down. (laughs) Hear me, I'm not done. The way down is up. You exalt yourself, you'll feel humiliation. So it's better to humble yourself and let God exalt you rather than exalting yourself and letting God humble you. So the next level for us is down in prayer is critical to that. So we're going to look at discipleship within the context of prayer. Luke chapter 4, reading from the New King James Version today. Excuse me, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. The title of the message is Discipleship, Parameters of Prayer. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, help us as we study. This passage is duplicated in Matthew and in Mark. Different, different versions of it. And whenever you read a different version of something that Jesus said in one gospel, but he didn't say it the same way in another, it doesn't mean that the writers can't get it together. It means that Jesus preached to a large congregation three times on a Sunday. I don't Listen, I say the same stuff, but I don't say the same stuff in every sermon. It's a little bit different in each one. So Jesus lived with these guys three and a half years. Don't you think that they needed to hear the same thing at other times? So it wasn't just one time they said, teach us to pray. Could you remind us of that again? Do, Do that again. And so you will see different versions of different messages that Jesus spoke at different times. And please don't fall for the cynical lie that somehow the scriptures are, are not trustworthy because they say different things in different places about the same accounts. There are same accounts, but different times in different places. Here we see one account where Jesus is encouraging the disciples to pray. But as we go through this passage, I want you to to not miss some of the obvious stuff. Now, we can read the narrative, and the narrative is important for us to get by way of information, but we can forget that there are also people in it, and there are interactions, these human interactions that we can overlook because we're trying to get to the theology. We're trying to understand the broader message, and we forget that there are people that are talking, and this human interaction has some nuances in there. Namely, that Jesus was praying, though he was with the disciples, Jesus was praying, but the disciples weren't. Now, I know, I'm, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I know the passage says, the disciples said, teach us to pray. But, but listen, Jesus hadn't even invited them. It, Jesus had this regularity of being able to be with the Father. It, 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 it was, and, and, and he didn't need some kind of cataclysmic event in order to Im- inspire him to pray. He didn't need an extraordinary blessing for which he needed to give thanks and said, I need to run to God right now. It was just fellowship. This is what made the disciples say, gosh, he's different. We don't know how to do whatever he's doing. We don't know how to do that. I have some friends of mine that are really excellent prayer warriors in this church, amazing human beings that talk to God an hour to an hour and a half a day, a day. And then I have some who are not in this church, a friend of mine named Bob Perry. He gets up at 4.30 and he doesn't stop praying until 9.30. I don't feel saved. I just get around him. I think, what do I need to do to be right? I don't know. I, I, and, and he's a good friend of mine. I've been with him. I, he was a missionary in, in Latvia. And I was there one time ministering. Three or four times I've been there, which is up there in the northern part of Europe. And, and, and I, I would get in his routine, and he'd get up early. And, and, and right about, right about 4.30 now, 4.30. Right about 5.30, I just couldn't keep up. 
And I told him, I, my, my confession now, I told him. I said, I just don't think God wants to hear me talk that long. <laughs> I'm not a great conversationalist when it comes to that. This brother can pray. And it prompted me to say, when I heard about this before I participated with him, dude, what do you say for five hours? I said, I'm about tapped out in 20 minutes. About tapped out. I got everything. I got my whole agenda there. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. What do you say? Jesus had regular moments with the Father, sometimes lasting all night. And although the communication between Jesus and the Father was dialogue, and it was consistent in terms of values and agreement. So you didn't have any disharmony from one to the other. And you know, when you, you know that sense that's unspoken that you flow with somebody? You know you're with them, your husband or your wife or your best buddy, and you can be driving down the road for hours on a road trip and not say a word and everybody's cool because you're flowing together you, you don't need to figure out what you need to say and you're on the same page and you're, 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 you have the same values and everything it, it doesn't mean you're identical it doesn't mean that there's a cloneness about you but it does mean that you're in agreement and that agreement is deep that's the way Jesus communicated with the Father and the disciples couldn't figure out how in the world to do that. And it's, it's our goal to try to get there. Try to get there. But we can't get there unless we do what the disciples did by asking Jesus some questions about how to get there. Because we are so far, please hear me, we are so far from knowing how to communicate with, with God that we have to be taught it doesn't come natural. You can't just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to have an intelligent conversation with God. Now you can think you will have an intelligent conversation with God when you talk to him. But you are the only one who thinks that. God doesn't. Because his thoughts are not ours. His ways are not ours. We have no idea how to communicate with the perfect and the infinite. We who are imperfect and finite. We must be taught. Jesus was, was there but not inviting the disciples because there's, there's a real flow in prayer. And when you invite somebody into an intimate moment and they don't know exactly what's going on, it, it kind of confuses the atmosphere. It messes up the continuity. The flow just kind of breaks down. And it's not that Jesus didn't want to invite the disciples. It's that there wasn't a hunger. You have to want to communicate with the Father. You can't be forced to. Hey, we're going to pray today. You have to want to. And so Jesus waits. I don't know how long he waited. It's Matthew 6, Luke 11, Mark 12, I think. I don't know how long he waited, but he waited until somebody, one disciple, we don't know which one, said, Lord, teach me to do what you're doing. 
teach me. Now, there wasn't, there wasn't much in the Old Testament that taught people how to pray. There are some things in the Mishnah which are companion references to the Torah and the Old Testament. But there's not much in the Old Testament that taught people how to pray. There were a lot, of exa- a lot of examples of prayer, but not much teaching about how to communicate with the Father. Because for the most part, that was done by the priests. And then you would offer a sacrifice, and then they would talk to God on your behalf. Now, it didn't mean that you couldn't talk to God. That wasn't the issue. The thing was, you, you, you thought you had to be really holy in order to communicate to him without some priest. You had to be other than. You had to be called like Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah. Somebody who, these guys weren't priests, but they were prophets. And so they had this specific line to God. I'm just a normal Jewish guy. Can I talk to him like that? And so teaching was not on the ordinary with the common people. And so this is why this disciple says, John taught his disciples. Can, can, you, can you teach us? If you want to you pray, how hungry are you? Now let me tell you, when you, I can tell when you are hungry. You are really hungry when you got to pay bills. Oh, you want to talk to God then. Whoo, I got to have a conversation with him. You, get, you set the alarm clock to have a conversation with God then. When your health isn't right, oh, you hungry to talk to God then. When your life is going down the tubes, when you've run your life into a ditch or somebody else has, you are calling out to them and that without reservation. You don't need a script. Nothing religious about it. Oh, God, help me! Is your heart cry. But what about when none of that is happening? When you don't need 911. You don't have an emergency. That's when you can tell relationship. See, most of us do not have a relationship with the police. We just don't. We're not looking for one. Why? Because they are there when we need them. That's all we need the police to be, is there when we need them. And that's how we treat God. Just be there when I need you. When I call out to you, show up. Ding! Anybody know what that is? You show up at the, at the hotel... The bellhop comes. Somebody comes because you have a need and you need something now. Show up and meet my need. That's the way, unfortunately, most believers and unbelievers treat God as their divine bellhop. Carry my bags. Support my life. This disciple had no no tragedy in his life. There was nothing there that... No unusual moment for which he needed to thank him and give praise. He he didn't win Publishers Clearinghouse. He just saw Jesus go away and do something that they couldn't do. And he said, I want some of that. I I want to know God like that. Real disciples develop that attitude. And discipleship is all about following Jesus. It's about becoming who he wants us to be. 
It's about disciplining our lives to obey Him at every level. It's about pleasing Him. It's not about conferring with God when we have a need. Now, I am grateful that if you've come to church because you do have a need, you've come to a good spot. I am happy you are here and God is going to do something for you that he wouldn't do otherwise because you are here. And it's not that he is dependent upon us because we aren't really good at what we do. He's much better at doing what he does than we do what we do. But you're in the environment where he can move whereby if you were sleeping, it wouldn't happen like it's happening now. And so he's able to do something because you showed up and I am grateful for your showing up and I pray that he meets your need. But, but, but please remember when he does so, it's just the beginning. If you prayed the prayer this morning that sounded something like this, Lord, I will go to church for you tomorrow. If I will go to church for you tomorrow if you fix my supervisor. I need your help, oh Lord. I I lived my end of the bargain, right? And we, we make these agreements with God thinking that he's saying yes. <laughs> You're the only one who signed off on this plan. <laughs> he has not put his stamp of approval. Oh, good idea. No problem. We'll make that happen. Doesn't there have to be some incentive on the part of the other person to say yes to a bargain like what is God getting out of this okay you're going to church you're supposed to do that well what 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 incentive do I have to help you like this we make these strange bargains thinking that God has signed off if you Lord if I can get an A on this test, if I get an A, I'll read my Bible every day. Oh, bravo. I'll make that happen, baby. That's what I've been hoping for. The whole universe has been waiting for this moment. <laughs> this is how we approach God, though, isn't it? Real disciples don't need some kind of unusual prompt. All they're looking for is fellowship. They just want to get to know him better. Discipleship is following him like this. And there is no better way to follow him but in the place of prayer. There is no better way. Now there are equal ways. And we'll get to those in other uh, subsequent weeks. But you follow him to the place of prayer. This disciple says, teach me. And you know what happened as a result of one person, one person being hungry, one. That request opened up a pattern of prayer that allows all of us on February 28, 2016 to benefit from how to approach God. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to over-exaggerate that statement, but had he not asked, how would we know? It, this, this prayer that we have called the Lord's Prayer came in response to a question. And Jesus was looking for somebody who was hungry. Listen, discipleship, real discipleship, follows Jesus so closely that the prompts, the the answers to your questions open up avenues for everybody else. 
Benefit comes to others as a result of your obedience. You are so close to him that everybody else sometimes just in an ancillary way says, wow, look at what happened. Discipleship allows for growth to happen in your life and in the lives of others. Now, this beautiful prayer that we have that was prompted by the question is, is affectionately and historically called the Lord's Prayer. And, and all of the, the historians and theologians and people that have entitled this moment the Lord's Prayer, I'm in agreement with. I like it. I'm not trying to change the, the, the name of it. Uh, it, it, it it's, not, it's not in the Bible, though it's in your Bible. Meaning the heading will save, as you get to this part in your Bible, the Lord's Prayer. Now that's put in there by somebody who wants you to know that, the, that this has been considered by the church a really good moment to memorize and to, to, to set apart as from the rest of Scripture. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those headings help us know that the subject matter has changed. But I want you to know that this is probably not a prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Ever. This is a prayer the disciples were to pray. So it's more, I mean, again, I'm not trying to change none. I'm just trying to inform you. It's probably better stated, this is the disciples' prayer. I'm convinced that Jesus, when he talked to the Father, he didn't have a script. Husbands, when you you go out with, with your wives... And, and yeah, you got an old boy over there. He knows. <laughs> he, he's bracing his soul for trouble. That's what he's doing. He said, I'm in trouble. I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm in trouble. He's going to say something. And my wife's going to work. Husbands, when you're, when, you're, when you're going out with your wives and, and you're having a, a nice dinner and, and life is good, it's, it's going to be a date. And uh, does it, ha, have you ever pulled out a list? That had point one, point two, point three, point four, point five, A, B, C subpoints, and then one, two, three under that. Dear, I'd like to have a conversation with you. <laughs> and you just go through these points. I, I think I'm being kind to say that your wife would not appreciate that. That she would prefer to rather be communicated with by way of normal flow rather than some kind of outline. This is not a teaching format. This isn't a seminar you're taking me through. I'm your wife. Or you did it with a friend. Dude, what's wrong with you? Just talk to me. When you grow in relationship with someone so well, you don't need an outline anymore. You just talk. You dialogue. You converse, not just talk. Some of you talk too much. You just talk too much. You need to listen more. This is why I don't think, you know, I don't think Jesus used an outline. But when you don't know, when you don't know, then you need some help. My first date, 16. Mama said we could date when we were 16. And I had my, my eyes on a girl. At 15, I had my eyes on her, but I couldn't date her till 16. Her name was Marvita. We both had afros. She had an Angela Davis afro. I mean, it was out there. It was, it was, it was big. And um, I asked my friends who had dated, what, like, what do you say? 
what do you do on a, I didn't know, I didn't know. So I picked her up, introduced myself to her parents, very polite, got her in the car, I said, hi. She said, hi. Went to the carnival. So, would you like something to eat? Yes. <laughs> what, what ride do you want to go on? That one. We were out for four hours. We didn't say 20 words to one another. <laughs> Not 20 words. I drove her home in silence. I said, good night. She got out of the car, walked her to the front door. I got in my car and, and went back home. I got, him, I, I got in bed and I said, God, I don't think that's how that was supposed to go. <laughs> I, I, I don't want another date if that's the way that's supposed to go. I never went on another date with Marvita. That's the truth. That's the truth. When you don't, when you don't know, when you don't know you need help, what do you say? How do you say it? I don't know. I don't know. And these disciples said, teach me, please. Because when I get in his presence, I don't know what to do. And so Jesus lays out a, a beautiful pattern of prayer. Now, this prayer is usually prayed in rote. So we just say it by memorization. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that you pray at all, I'm happy about. However you got it and whatever you say, as long as it's not unbiblical, I'm happy so if you got to go through your five Hail Marys, <laughs> I'm, at the, I'm at what I would call as an evangelical, the lowest level of affirmation. Your five Hail Marys and your six Our Fathers ain't mad at you. At least you're talking to God. But it's never intended to be a rote prayer. It's supposed to be an outline in which you put some stuff. So Jesus is giving them a pattern of prayer not just words of prayer. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Boy, God's daddy. He's not just an all-powerful potentate sitting on a throne ready to hand out retribution and blessing depending upon where you fall. He is a daddy. And although the Israelites understood something about his fatherly nature... Nobody would ever dare call him Abba, which in Hebrew meant daddy, because it was too familiar. It was, it was too non-formal. And Jesus broke all that stuff down and said, you know how you would, would be treating your dads? That's how I want you to treat this one. Except he's a father from heaven. And so he didn't have all the flaws that your earthly fathers do. He's perfect. And he loves you perfectly. And where your earthly fathers made mistakes, he never does. He trains right. He teaches right. He provides beautifully. And that without cessation. He is amazing. He is the father from whom all molds, were, molds came. Anybody who does anything good as a dad had to get it from him because he is the one from whom all 
creation learns to do right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, set apart, distinct, different. His name is not like anybody else's. And it needs to be revered. This pattern here of prayer starts off with an acknowledgement of who he is and an affirmation of the, the kind of distinctiveness that separates him from everybody else on the planet. His name is different. And we need to hold it in high regard. And it's not just that we need to, to make sure that, that nothing comes out of our mouth that sounds blasphemous or is, is seen in a way as taking his name without reverence meaning using his name in a critical way or as an expletive. Those things, or just without meaning, saying, oh God, and you really don't mean any prayer. And you know why God doesn't want us to, to say his name without the kind of substance behind it that should reflect faith? Because when you really need to say his name in order to invoke some blessing or effect change, and you've used it in such a way that it doesn't matter all your life, that when you do say it, what does it mean to you? When you really need it for what it's supposed to help you in, what does it mean? You ought to reserve it so that it means something when you say it. So you haven't robbed it of its, of its power by using it meaningless in other areas. So it's important that we revere his name by, the, by our mouth. But it had a much broader meaning for all the Israelites. It meant that if, if you're going to take his name, remember the fourth commandment? Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If you're going to take his name, don't take it in vain. If you're going to use his name, don't use it in vain. If you're going to to allow yourself to be known as a people of God, then act like it. If you're going to be set apart from all the peoples of the earth, called by my name, then you better live like it. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, don't let other people call you different. <laughs> you don't want to be this guy. I'm a Christian. Really? You're, you're a Christian? I had no idea. You don't want to be that guy. Everything about you ought to live it and say it. But if you don't say it, people ought to evidence by your living it. So that they come up to you and say, I don't know what you do or where you go to church or what you believe. But you are the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. And if there were anybody who were a whole lot like Jesus, it would be you. You've taken that name. You've hallowed it in your life. You set it apart in your life. And you don't want to do anything to bring shame to it. Your name, O Lord, is not only hallowed in the heavens... It's hallowed in here. Amen. Holy, hallowed be your name. Set apart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want the kingdom of God to be represented on earth just like it's in glory. So the first part of this prayer starts off with an acknowledgement of who he is, how he's different, and how we want to make sure that his name is revered. 
in our lives, in every place we go. Secondly is priorities. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be, your will be done. So we're not talking about let my will be done. I'm coming to you asking for you to help me. I want your will to be done. Help me like that. Your will be done. Just like if I were in heaven, let it be done here on earth. Now, I love the fact that I'm going to glory. But I'm trying to do what I can while I'm here to bring as much glory here. I'm not just waiting until I get there. Your will be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. So, Lord, let it be done in my life. I draw a circle around my life when I pray. Let it be done in my life. Let it be done then in my family. Let it be done in my church. Let it be done in my community. Lord, let your kingdom come. Your will be done just like it will be done in heaven in these areas. I need you like that. Setting my priorities in order. Then thirdly, he says, give me today what I need, my daily bread. Now you notice that we haven't even, most of us start here. We start here. Now if you're praying well and you're filling in all of what it means to honor God's name with praise and worship, to make it hallowed and sacred, to recognize him as your daddy, then to prioritize your life with yourself and your family and everybody else, let your kingdom come. You spent probably a good five to ten minutes in prayer. Making sure that you're categorizing things as they should be and honoring him the way you should. Five or ten minutes before you ever got to what you need today. Lord, I need this. I need that. But you cannot pray about what you need accurately until you've done the prioritization well. Because if you pray about what you need before you ever get to the prioritization, then you usually either pray amiss or with wrong motives. But now you can pray because you've set everything in order. Lord, I need this today. I need my provision. I need my health. I need strength. I need patience. I got to deal with a lot of crazy folk at work. I need patience today, oh Lord. And we're going to get to that in a minute because that's going to the next part. God, I need these things. And then (laughs) he talks about relationships. Lord, forgive me just like I forgive everybody else. Forgive me my trespasses, just as I have forgiven everybody else. Do, 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 do you really want to pray that prayer? Really? Just, just go through your mind for a minute. How have you forgiven all the people who have offended you? Have you really released them or just forgotten about them? There's a difference between neglect and act of forgiveness. And you may have great pain as a result of what somebody's done, but you've just set it aside. You haven't done anything active spiritually about it. That's not forgiveness. Because the next time you see them, it's as if they did it to you yesterday. Could be five years from now. Have you forgiven? Because every time you pray this prayer, you're asking God to forgive you like you forgave them. Dangerous prayer. But it is intended so that you can keep your relationships current. You're saying to yourself, okay, I'm just going to skip over this part next time I pray. No, 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 no. When you come to God as a disciple and say, teach me to pray, this is what he puts in the the instruction manual. You got to pray like this. It makes you get your relationships right. 
Because God relationally wants you to, to have just as much integrity here as you have with him up there. You love him and you love people. There should be no distinction between the two. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus said, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot separate how you treat others from how you treat God. You cannot. When you do, it's hypocrisy. And then lastly, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. This is where you get direction. God, I know I'll go the wrong way today without you. I know it. I, I, my, my foot will go here when it should go here. I will go left rather than right. Lead me today in the way I should go. Don't let me be tempted by my own desires. Don't let my mind run away with thoughts that are impure, that are wrong, full of malice, anger. Help me to guard my soul, the garden of my heart, so that I don't let anything get planted down there that shouldn't be. Help me to root out those things that should not be there so I don't go in the direction that they want to take me. I want my heart and my life to be in line with your will perfectly. Don't let me go the wrong way today. Don't let my feet go down the evil path. If I get there, I'm going to have to come back. Anybody like to backtrack? Especially when you're on a turnpike. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Turnpikes are terrible when you miss your exact. It's not like the toll road. Toll road is an exit every mile. You miss it. Eh. Turnpike is 15 miles down the road. And you're sitting there driving. No, you missed your exit. Oh my goodness, I'm going the wrong way. I'm still going the wrong way. I'm still going the wrong way. You are mad for the next 10 minutes. And then your tendency is to put the foot on the accelerator to try to get there faster. I'm going the wrong way and now I can't get there. That is your life. That is your life. When you don't allow yourself to be directed in the right way, you miss your exit all the time. All the time. And then you got to backtrack. I'm begging you. Jesus says, pray like this. Don't let me go wrong today. Don't let me go wrong. Help me to be led by you today in my thoughts and my words and my life and my actions every way. The disciples said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, do it like this. If you're a disciple, somebody who allows their life to be, a, to be that which follows Christ closely, not just a, a person that mentally assents to who Jesus Christ is, but a real disciple, you will allow Jesus to teach you, and then you will do what he says. Let's pray.